I was thinking about the loss of the visuals on the screen. Very glad that they're there now so that I can use the PowerPoint I prepared. But I may have said this before, when I was young at the little meeting that we went to in Glenorchy, very small meeting, we had actually two gentlemen who were blind. And I used to try and uh, memorise hymns because I thought, what if I was blind? I bet they wouldn't have a Braille hymn book of the Believer's Hymn Book. And, and so it's interesting because how well do we know these songs that we often sing? But let us look at Mark 13 today. So I've got a question. Do you really want to know the future? Mm-hmm. Yep. It, it, when you think about it, it's not necessarily what you... If you look at a year and go... If you look at last year, if I look at last year and go... Would I, be, would I have been happy to know what last year was going to be like in January? I wouldn't have been. And actually, my doctor laughed a while ago because I said I was sick of, sick of having tests for one thing that turned up something else as well. And I, didn't, I don't want to know about them. I don't, don't have symptoms for whatever it was. And, <clears throat> and he just thought that was funny. I don't see why, but anyway. And also, early in Jesus' teaching, um, in Ma Matthew... Six, he actually said, don't worry about tomorrow. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Nevertheless, people have assidu assiduously ignored that instruction and the disciples were not immune from that either. And so with our path through Mark, we have reached, and the Lord has already reached the temple. We've had previous um, teaching from where he was actually in the temple, talking with the Sadducees, where he saw the, the widow putting in her tiny amount of money and so at the beginning of Mark 13 he's just leaving the temple and we'll read those first couple of verses as Glennis did as he was leaving the temple one of his disciples said to him look teacher what massive stones <clears throat> what magnificent buildings do you see all these great buildings Jesus asked replied not one stone here will be left on another. Everyone will be thrown down. Now, the disciples were pretty stunned by that, and no wonder, because the temple... I can get this working. Right. The temple was one of the architectural marvels of the Roman era, and I am reliably informed by Google that it took up the space with all the outer courts and everything of about three or four American football fields. Now, I have no idea how much that is, but, you know, I gather big, right? And it was seriously a large building. And the disciples, you can just see they're going, what? You know? And if you can imagine, for instance, no, you don't have to imagine, if you've seen the news this week of the previous Pope's funeral and you see St Peter's Square, it's that kind of huge, huge buildings, and they were, of course, not from an era where um, we, we unfortunately in the last century or so have experienced um, carpet bombing and so on where we can see huge buildings just deteriorate. They were not from that kind of era. So they were pretty stunned. And so they crossed to the Mount of Olives. She says, yep. And this is the view now from nowadays, but where you can see that golden dome, the dome of the rock is where the temple would have been. So they were looking straight across there. And in verses 3 to 4, we're going to work our way through this chapter. 
Um, as Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter, James, John and Andrew, four, asked him privately, tell us, when will these things happen? And what will be the sign that they are all about to be fulfilled? Uh, it's interesting, it's the two sets of brothers uh, of Jesus' disciples and also that the following, the teaching that follows is also in Mark in Matthew and in Luke, clearly the writers of the Gospels um, knew these passages really well and included them. And of course, as Jews, the disciples were used to the idea of prophets. They had a whole history of prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, and you know, right down to Malachi and so on. They were used to the idea that somebody sent from God might be able to foretell the future. And so they had two key questions. When? And what are the signs? Now you will notice, as Glenn has very well pointed out, the Lord totally ignores the question of when. In fact, he says, I'm not, not going to tell you, I don't know. But he does talk about the signs. And verses 5 to 21, as we have them in our um, Bible, are really answering the question about the temple. <coughs> sort of forewarned is forearmed. So verses 5 to 6, he says, don't be deceived by false Christs. Jesus said to them, watch out that no one deceives you. Many will come in my name claiming I am he and will deceive many. When you hear of wars and rumours of wars, oh sorry, I'll stop at 6 before that. So don't get sucked in by people who claim to be Christ or to be better than him or to be interpreting him in a different way. So verses 7 to 8, don't get distracted or disturbed by political or geographic turmoil. When you hear of wars and rumours of wars, verse 7, do not be alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places and famines. These are the beginnings of birth pains. Now... These um, Christians over the centuries have tried to predict things, the end of the age, based on these verses, all sorts of things. And as Paul said, I have a small claim to be a historian and if you read enough history, these things have been predicted many times in the intervening um, centuries from Jesus where people have seen the appearance of Halley's Comet or the Lisbon earthquake of 1755 or the Thirty Years' War or the Second, First World War, all sorts of things like that as um, being immediately before um, Christ's coming or before the end of the age. And it's very, um, the Lord says such things must happen but the end is still to come. So we should not, and he says, don't be alarmed by all those things happening. And then in verses 9 to 13, he says, don't be alarmed or bitter or put off by persecution. So let's look at those verses. You must be on your guard. You will be handed over to the local councils and flogged in the synagogues. On account of me, you will stand before governors and kings as witnesses to them. And the gospel must first be preached to all nations. Whenever you are arrested, whenever you are arrested and brought to trial, do not worry beforehand about what to say. Just say whatever is given you at the time, for it is not you speaking, 
but the Holy Spirit. Now, if you read the account in Acts of the early years of the church, you will see that these verses were very well fulfilled. Peter, you know, um, stood before the Sanhedrin and was a dreadful cricket pun joke, was bold. Um, they were taken before governors and kings. They were indeed um, um, handed over to local councils and flogged in the synagogues. So they were warned about that beforehand and told not to, to be on their guard, not to be alarmed by that. Verse, the verse says, um, if, don't worry beforehand about what you say. I had a, to me as a young Christian, remarkable example of this. And, and still I looked up my Bible that I used at the time, my authorised version, I've got a note against it. And I looked up my diary, all I said in my diary, I didn't give the details. But we, I was at Hobart Matric College I was 16, the matric college that was where the funeral parlour is over on Letitia Street. Wonderful year, one of the best years of my life. And we had a, a his, modern history teacher. When I say modern history, it was Tudor and Stuart, so it was the Reformation, sort of 16th, 17th century. But he was, even now, he would be regarded as a bit out there. Sid Evans, he was... Uh, I suppose it's not too rude to say he had a beer gut. He was seriously left of centre. Bolshe, he didn't wear a, an academic gown in the days when nearly all our teachers wore academic gowns. He did have a degree, I'm sure, but he didn't wear one. And he was pretty ansty, you'd have to say. And he, teaching, he was teaching, a, you know, the subject included the Reformation, but he was not backward and coming forward and criticising religion and people who were religious and things like that. Absolutely unprofessional in my view as a teacher, really unprofessional behaviour. There were two or three of us in that class at least who were Christians and one day Sid said, oh the Bible contradicts itself because you know in the Old Testament it says eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth and in the New Testament it says love your enemies. See it just contradicts itself. And you know you know that car sticker that says, ask your teenager while they still know everything? Um, I was 16 and wasn't about to take that sitting down, so I, I don't know where the words came from. This verse totally came true in my life that day. I opened my mouth and I said, I don't ever remember thinking this or hearing this before, I said, oh, Mr Evans, I think that in the Old Testament, that was justice, an eye for an eye, but in the New Testament, Jesus is the, has the law of love. And it goes one step beyond that. And he kind of went, oh, fair point. And unfortunately in my diary, all I've written is we had a huge argument in history. Now, I didn't write the details, but um, I, I, was, I can't remember whether I knew this verse before or after that. It was huge confirmation, confirmation to me that what the Lord said was true. So let's go on to the next verses. Now, the signs Jesus is talking about were not precise chronological predictions. And the next verses really relate to um, the destruction of the temple. Um, We'd better go back to 12 and 13. Brother will betray brother to death and a father his child. 
children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. All men will hate you because of me, but he who stands firm to the end will be saved. Again, that is an encouragement to them when they were spreading the gospel and had such opposition. But then from verse 14, these really are answering their question about when is this going to happen that the temple is going to be not one stone on, upon the other. And so let's read. When you see the abomination that causes desolation standing where it does not belong, let the reader understand, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let no one on... on on the roof of his house go down or enter the house to take anything out. Let no one in the field go back to get his cloak. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. That's because children, babies slow you down. Pray that this will not take place in winter because those will be days of distress unequaled from the beginning when God created the world until now and never to be equaled again. If the Lord had not cut short those days, no one would survive. But for the sake of the elect whom he has chosen, he will shorten them, has shortened them. And so these, in fact, these words were taken to heart by the Jerusalem church. And when the Romans um, attacked Jerusalem in the late 60s AD, the Jerusalem church actually acted on these words and fled before the Romans totally encircled and shut down the city and escaped to Transjordan and they survived. So let's get a little bit of history in here. A reminder of the temple, there's this great, this is from a really, if you, can, if you like Googling YouTube things, there's a really, really good, this one, where um, it, it's like it walks you through the temple and it gives you a real feeling of how huge it was and how high above you and so on. And so this is... Um, the temple in the middle of Jerusalem. And again, it gives you a feeling of just how huge it was as part of the city. It really must have been so difficult for the disciples to think that it was actually going to go and not, nothing going to happen. But the devastation indeed was terrible, as the Lord predicted. Um, in fact, in their defence of the temple and of the city, the Jews uh, the, who were resisting the Romans actually set fire to part of the temple in an effort to put the Romans off. So they actually started the fire and the Romans, under the later Emperor Titus, completed the job in AD 70, the year of the four emperors. That was political turmoil itself. And of course there was desecration, Roman legion, Roman eagles in the holy place and Jerusalem was destroyed as well as the temple. It wasn't rebuilt for a couple of hundred years. And several hundred thousand people were killed or enslaved. It truly was a really cataclysmic event for the Jewish nation. And this is actually, those other ones sort of um, pictures imagining things, but this is actually from a relief which shows the Jewish prisoners being paraded through Rome and you can see the candelabra, the seven-branched candlestick, and I think it's also the ark on the right. Um, they took all the beautiful things from the Holy of Holies and they were totally taken to Rome on parade. You can just imagine Jewish feeling as to that, how utterly, utterly awful it was. So that was definitely um, fulfilled what the Lord said at the time. And so in verses um, 21 to 23, we have another warning about false Christs. Put that back to... Yep, 
So we're still, Jesus is still talking to those four disciples on the Mount of Olives. At that time, if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or look, there he is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will appear and perform signs and miracles to deceive the elect, if that were possible. So be on your guard. I have told you everything ahead of time. And there are plenty of examples throughout history of people who've claimed to be Christ reincarnated or whose followers believe them to be, and some of those have had dreadful, dreadful outcomes. And we need, I think, even if we don't follow false Christ, we do need to be careful, I think, not to take, constantly take the latest author or the latest speaker or somebody like that and put them in Christ's place and quote them left, right and centre. And, and we really need to think and to, to balance what people say against what the Lord taught. Now I'd like to thank Paul for um, taking the next part of the sermon into his email that he sends around and alerting us to the idea that there is a kind of perspective in prophecy. Um, the crises of history are like pictures of mountain ranges um, without any recognition of the valleys or territory between. That's from up on the mountain, behind the mountain here. And I, you know very well if you've ever walked any of this, this is looking, I think, towards Collins Cap. There's a whole lot of up and down in between those various hills reaching right across to Cradle Mountain. The, so this next verse, verse 24, it's kind of like it's telescoped. Um, it sounds like this is going to follow the destruction of the temple, but in fact, and it will, because Jesus' coming is going to follow the destruction destruction of the temple but it's the Lord has sort of jumped I suppose to that next mountain peak of the second coming and as Peter reminds us in his um, epistle a day of the Lord is like a thousand years and a thousand years as one day and God does not count time like we do one thing we can be sure of is that the Lord will come again and that we should be in a constant state of readiness. So let's read those verses, 24 onwards. But in those days, following that distress, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the sky and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. That's a quote from Isaiah. At that time, men will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. And he will send his angels... And gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of the heavens. Definite, the wonderful prospect of the Lord coming again, coming in clouds with great power and glory. Now, verse 28, he says, Now learn this lesson from the fig tree. As soon as its twigs get tender and its leaves come out, you know that summer is near. Even so, when you see these things happening, you know that it is near, right at the door. I tell you the truth, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Now, people have agonised over the this generation will not pass away phrase. It probably means, in the first place, that the generation he was speaking to would not die out until the fall of Jerusalem, which was true because it was only another... 35, 40 years from this, um, but also that could mean that the Jewish race, Genia, 
would survive to the end of the age, and maybe it means both those things. But one thing we really can take note of is that the Lord said, heaven and earth will pass away. All these things, everything could um, totally be wrapped up and gone, but his words will never pass away. And clearly we think that's true. We're still reading them and listening to them 2,000 years after he said them. And then as Glennis has so very well um, told us with the children's story, we need to be alert and be ready. So, verse 32, no one knows about that day or hour, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. This must be also one of the most disregarded verses in Scripture because there are a heap of people who've tried to make work out when the day was. Heaps of people have, if not predicted, some people have tried to predict exactly, some people have tried to do it more generally. But here, certainly only the Father knows. Be on guard, be alert. You do not know when that time will come. It's like a man going away. He leaves his house and puts his servants in charge, each with his assigned task, and tells the one at the door to keep watch. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know when the owner of the house will come back, whether in the evening or at midnight, or when the rooster crows or at dawn. If he comes suddenly, do not let him find you sleeping. What I say to you, I say to everyone, watch. And so we need to be alert and be ready. We have to live in this world. But I sometimes think, you know, if we, if I really thought, really, 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 really thought that Jesus was going to come back this afternoon, what would the difference be, you know, in how I was living? So we need to hold lightly the things of the earth and do all we can to prepare for the king, coming of the king, sharing his word with others, as Glenn has said, and trying to make sure that as many people know as possible about him. And the when in that little assembly that I referred to, when I was young, we had a very elderly gentleman who loved a particular hymn I'm not quite brave enough to sing it to you, so I'm going to read, read the first couple of verses. It may be at morn, when the day is awaking, when sunlight through darkness and shadow is breaking, that Jesus will come in the fullness of glory to receive from the world his own. It may be at midday. It may be at twilight. It may be, perchance, that the blackness of midnight will burst into light in the blaze of his glory, when Jesus receives his own. It's a wonderful hymn and it's a pity we don't still sing it, but there we go. And I guess seeing this elderly gentleman who it was one of the hymns he would always give out in open worship. And he, I, I, I guess as a little kid, I looked at that and looked at him and those words stuck in my head. Martin Luther said, live as if Christ died yesterday, rose this morning and is coming back tomorrow. Thank you for that uh, new hymn with the chorus basically saying that, which was very, the Holy Spirit lining that up nicely. I think he actually said, preach as if Christ died yesterday, rose this morning and is coming back tomorrow. And of course, really, we should be thinking coming back today, not just coming back tomorrow. And so there are two things we can be certain of. One is that 
in particularly based on this, there's lots of things we can be certain of, but two based on this chapter. One is that God knows the future. We don't have to. He will be with us in it. We can trust him for it. And the second one is, based on this chapter, is that Jesus is coming again. And these are two wonderful certainties to carry with us into this new year.